Hey there, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of The Dark Parade. It is great to have you with us as we are concluding the series of Psycho films with Psycho 4 The Beginning, which is the end. You'll get it. Anyway, just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all the feedback for the Psycho series. It's been a great launch to the show. We've got another series on the heels of this. We'll talk about that more after uh, our guest today. Uh, speaking of our guest today, that is Gav Chucky Steele from the podcast on Haunted Hill, uh, which is a podcast that's been on a bit of a hiatus because one of them was having babies and whatnot, but that's all coming back. Also, a uh, director of uh, movies like The Shadow of Death and just a, a terrific guy, great conversation about this movie that, you know, is sort of the oddball of the series, but let's not get too deep into that. Gav will be here. Uh, to help us wind our way through all of that. So, without further ado, everyone, sit back, relax, and welcome to The Dark Parade. So with me, as I mentioned in the introduction, is Gav Chucky Steele, not only one of the, uh, one half of the podcast on Haunted Hill, um, along with Dan, Dan Bone, uh, who has the name of a porn star and the body to suit. <laughs> and <laughs> not only that, but uh, you're a filmmaker. You you uh, direct, you edit, uh, you do some writing. You're a man of many talents. Uh, so thanks for being here. And what am I leaving out? Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Being here, Bo, uh, you make you making me blush. What are you working uh, missing out? I don't know. Um, DJ stuff out, write music and things. I don't know. I just like that stuff, really. It's not like I don't know. I never ever like to sort of be big-headed. I do all these things, but I just do the stuff that I like, and it just you know. Well, that's it, really. It, it, just like we were talking about. So, uh, or b- before we start recording, you have a, a Spotify channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's uh, because you, you were just saying that you never pimp that, and so let's do that right now. <laughs> yeah, I write music under the name of Chucky Steele. It's the stupidest fucking name possible. It really is. Someone said ages ago you could be called Chucky Steele. Anyway, I write music under that name um, and filmmake under Gav Chucky Steele. But yeah, go on Spotify and check it out. It's some it's random sort of stuff, some sort of synth wave stuff, but there's also some hippity hop stuff but it's all horror related like there's loads of horror movie samples and shit so you know it's from a, someone that likes horror movies and has just made some music you know it's all right yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm awful that's promotion myself, no, you did it that was great okay um okay. all right so we're we're talking about psycho four of course the the beginning yeah. Yeah, so I watched all the other movies before, just just you know to get in prep for this. And um, Psycho One is fucking fantastic. Psycho sure. Two is a very good, respectful movie. I'd seen that before as well. A very good, respectful movie to the original, and pretty good. And Psycho Three was, eh, but there's a lot of nat- nudity and stuff, and there's a bit I don't know. It almost felt a bit sleazy almost. Um, uh-huh. But this one was quite interesting because it was. I'd not seen it, and it's totally uh, a different way. I didn't know which way they were going to go with it, but it's all told in flashbacks over a radio show. Very interesting. It is. It you know this was made for cable, which the original or not original, but Psycho Two was originally intended to be made for cable, and it was just too good 
And they were like, no, 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 we need to actually put this out in theaters. Um, okay. Largely because it was Anthony Perkins returning to the role, and there was a period there where that was not a sure thing. And, right. and so with him stepping back into the role of Norman Bates, that was the point where they decided, well, this is probably a real movie. And Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. He does bring... Um, it's it's one of those things when you've got sequels to films having repeating cast or crew like like this new trailer for Screen 5 is out and you've got Sydney and some of the other ones Courtney Cox and stuff um, so it's kind of nice to have at least someone from the original and I suppose Anthony Perkins is the main star of all of them he is the psycho um, so yeah it's good to have that and I can I can see where they'd be quite excited having him come back because the first movie's Hitchcock it probably made a lot of money um, so Universal probably like yeah fuck it let's, let's do something with this yeah Psycho did, it was the most successful movie of Alfred Hitchcock's career I believe well well, he made it super cheap didn't he with yeah. his TV crew so <laughs> yeah that's right it was it, it, that was kind of a quick and dirty uh, shoot in as much only, as Hitchcock well, ever is yeah only because Universal didn't want to actually uh, actually do it like no we're not going to give you the money for this movie what are you talking about and it's like well, you idiots do you not look at what you've got here it's incredible yeah but like, you know that's just the beginning of the long story of studios being dumber than yeah the the creators at work like hitchcock knew hey i can make this on the cheap like all these other kind of sleazy movies coming out except mine will be good and yeah. if those make money imagine how much money one could make if it was actually a good movie and it's funny because if if you were to say to any person in the street hitchcock name a movie like straight away like that they're gonna go probably gonna go psycho every time yeah i think psycho maybe the birds it yeah. fits in there and yeah. you know north by northwest vertigo rear window like one of those five yeah and i, I don't know that anybody i suppose you're gonna run into some asshole that's like strangers on a train and it's like yeah <laughs> you, all right fine you went to film school yeah yeah uh <laughs> rope that was uh, uh, Jerry's uh, favorite, which is a fantastic movie. N don't get That's me wrong. It's a brilliant movie. Uh, I think we're going to cover it soon. It's just like the whole uh, uh, one take, supposedly, type thing. Yeah. Um, I, Jerry could tell you, if you want to get somebody smart on your show to talk about Hitchcock, you, you go with Jerry Cortez, um, a.k.a. Mr. Venom, uh, because he knows what he's talking about. I think he said there's, I want to say he said there's six or seven edits in the movie. Uh, okay, that, I are, that are hidden, but yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, he maybe so. I, he, he would know better than I. Um, I've seen a few of them. They're very sneaky. And it's very impressive editing for that time. You know, Hitchcock and his crew knew what he was doing, and his wife obviously as well. They all knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, his wife was uh, kind of instrumental with Psycho as well. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, Psycho's a, a brilliant movie. Like you said, Psycho Two comes along and was going to be made for cable it it really falls to psycho 4 before finally the diminishing returns of like psycho 3 wasn't as well received and as you said it's kind of it's more of a slasher movie it it doesn't feel as heady as psycho 2 by any stretch yeah and this time though you get the original writer back joe stefano is the the writer of psycho coming back to write psycho 4 I didn't realize that. Yeah. And it is him returning. Mick Garris is directing, who directed uh, this before he did a lot of those Stephen King adaptations. 
Yeah, this might be unpopular opinion. I don't really like any movie by Mick Garris. I don't know that that's that unpopular. Oh, I think, oh okay, cool. I yeah. Didn't know. I, like, Mick Garris, I think, is a really nice guy and a dedicated yeah. horror fan. Yeah. And I love him as a person. I'm yeah. not crazy about him as a director. Okay, cool. W- wicked. Oh, right, yeah. I, I think I bet he's lovely. He's got lovely long hair, you know. <laughs> I bet yeah. I bet he's, but he's a right little teddy bear. But, you know, uh, yeah, I don't really like his films. I'm not going to say upon this if I like it or not because we do this towards obviously the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but he, he is re- very respected in the horror world. He, mm-hmm. he you know, he's got John Landis uh, cameo in in this, or oh, not even cameo. Really. He's got a small role as a radio producer. Yeah, he's definitely in that community, which is great. Like he almost feels like uh, the Zelig of, or the the Forrest Gump of the horror world, where Mick Garris. <laughs> is just popping up in all these places like he's got a uh, mick garris has a cameo in the howling yeah okay and that kind of thing where he's he's been around horror movies and horror directors and horror sets forever and yeah. and well, he's doing all the makings of so he must have got chummy with all the directors from doing all the makings of their films like goonies and loads of stuff like that sure yeah and i'm sure as i said probably one of the best dinner conversations you will ever have in your life is mick garris yeah but anyway we'll get we'll circle back <laughs> to that uh so, so so mick garris is directing joe stefano is writing um during the production of psycho four uh this was about the time that anthony perkins discovered that he was hiv positive he is yeah. going through treatment for that at, at the time of this film's production um mick garris kind of famously uh said that anthony perkins was difficult to work with on this set but also the guy just found out that he'd gotten essentially a death sentence so you know yeah, maybe he cut went, him some slack he went for just a routine medical uh, assessment you know just check him out i guess like a physical and uh yeah uh, found out is HIV positive, so yeah, he's gonna be going through some shit. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and let's jump into the story. So, like you said, this is all sort of framed by a radio show, um, as as hosted by CCH Pounder, an actor I dearly love. I looked. I had to. I was like, oh, what is it? Her real name, Carol Christine Hilaria, I think it is. Pounder. That's a so great Car- name. Carol Pounder. I mean, hilarious what you would go by. Hilarious is a terrific name. CCH Pounder. Why, why go the initials? But fair enough. Yeah, so CCH Pounder, is, like I said, a big fan of hers. Uh, yeah. She is hosting the Fran Ambrose show. And with a... a a uh, psychiatrist named Dr. Leo Richmond, as well as a killer, and they're they're discussing matricide. Mm. And you know they're talking to the killer, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I killed my mom. That that's terrible." And the you know the Dr. Uh, Richmond is like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there, th- this is one of the most horrible crimes you can commit." Um, it, it has a devastating psychological effect, you know, on, on the person who commits the crime. And then a special caller rings in 
And wouldn't you know it, it's Norman Bates, although he's calling himself Ed, which is a little bit of a nod to Ed Gein, uh, as I understand it. Oh, of it. course. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't really realize that. Um, earlier on, when we had the credits, um, not to break the film down totally, but um, it's quite nice to hear the original uh, score from uh, Psycho. Yeah, it's the first time since the original Psycho that yeah. Bernard Herrmann's score is used, and outside of you know Busta Rhymes give me some more you're just not going to hear the song or the the music uh as as completely as in Psycho and Psycho 4 no uh, i did i listened to that song today actually yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it, it yeah i love that psycho sample in it so much um, yeah, yeah 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 give me some more just a great song let's just be real about it but, but like i'm not 100% on everything that Busta Rhymes ever did but give me some more fucking rules <laughs> Give us more. Well, not like Halloween Resurrection. You're not 100 percent on that. Uh, you know, after <laughs> after seeing Halloween Kills, I'm not sure how hard I really am <laughs> oh, on, on the Halloween franchise as a as a whole. Okay, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. no one karate kicks Michael Myers in this movie, but if it had happened, it would not have been wildly out of place. <laughs> uh, I quite like that film because it's shit. Yeah, that's quite. That's why I kind of I don't mind it. It's weird. I've got a weird relationship with it. Anyway, yeah, I, I feel like that too. Though I'm one of those people that like I'll I'll bag on a bad horror movie any day, and I've yeah. said some pretty harsh things about Halloween Kills. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. But I would rather watch a bad horror movie than a good drama most days. Yeah, fair enough. Um. So. Uh, that out of the way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Bernard Hor- Herman score is back in this. Um, Norman is calling this radio show, and that kind of begins the series of flashbacks because he tells uh, the the host CCH Pounder. He tells her, "Oh, I killed my mother." I mean, if we're going to talk about it, why don't you ask the real question here of like, why did it happen? Ooh, the, the producers like this is gold, but like later on like when they kick the psychiatrist out sort of thing say no come on you're out of here you're not gonna do this and he's like are you sure you want to have the blood on your hands if he goes off and kills someone because cch pounder or fran wants to uh chat with him and keep on it like the insurance company for the radio show must be shitting themselves like don't let him go off and kill someone right, you know yeah, right but i also think that you know in the world in which an art bell coast to coast exists Okay, yeah. That you you know, you have people call up and say all kinds of crazy things. That like I killed somebody, I worked at Area fifty one, I'm part reptilian. Okay. I you gotta think that she is that kind. If if her show for the night is let's drag a a killer on the air and talk to him about his crimes, that you have crazy people listening to this calling in saying crazy things. Yeah, I guess I've never been sort of uh, uh, hearing those sort of radio shows. Even um, I just haven't really heard those over here in England. Ours are very much regulated. The only thing we used to have is like pirate radio stations. So before they had an official license, there used to be one called XFM. Before it had an official license, it would just play music and it'd be a pirate radio station. Essentially, because they used to be on the water, because you wouldn't be any laws on the water. Um, uh so yeah um uh, i hadn't heard those shows but i do know what you mean so i guess 
this is actually just sort of fairly regular for the time these shows are around. I, I you know, yeah. like, a great listening. I can imagine because I was, I was one of my notes for this was just like how incredible would if you just fucking driving. Oh, I've got a long drive. I just put the radio on, but you know, pre podcast and stuff. Oh, what's on the radio? And then this comes on. Oh my god, you'd be driving into a hedge because it'd just be so fascinating. One of the fun. You're right. And one of the funniest things I ever heard about Art Bell, and this is sort of typical of that style of talk radio, was that it wasn't that he encouraged his listeners to say crazy things. He just never put the kibosh on them. You know, he just let them... he, he, He didn't necessarily believe it, but he believed in their right to say it, which led to one of the funniest things I've ever heard anyone on the air say... Which was one night when he had an Antichrist open line. Yeah. And somebody calls up and is like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the Antichrist. Here's my bona fides and so forth. (laughs) And he says, well, let me stop you there, sir. I'm not saying you're not the Antichrist. I'm just saying I've gotten three calls tonight with people (laughs) saying they are the Antichrist. (laughs) And now that's good radio. That's amazing. Just, yeah. just having that phone line open up is just amazing as it is. I, I can't recommend enough if you've never listened to old Art Bell Coast to Coast stuff. It was really most no. popular in like the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, I would say. Um, yeah. But you can find some of that stuff on the internet and it is it it is hilarious and captivating all at the same time. It's so, it's so good. But you're right. If you heard yeah. somebody on the radio that's like, hey, I know you've already got a killer in the studio, but that guy's shit. Yeah, that 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 that's a really weird relationship. The, the killer he's got in the studio, though, the 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 victim's father's there, and he says, "No, I'm letting him stay in my daughter, who he killed's bed, uh, bedroom, and stay, sleep there." But why is that then? Oh, because she was a she was a bitch. Like what? That's a re- really weird thing going on over there. So they are, to be fair to Norman, they are a bit shit. He is going to be a, li- a lot more captivating. Yeah. So. He gets on the air and uh, says, you know, it all started like this. And then you kind of do a little... I know, I know. And you go back uh, into the 1940s, and this is where we meet a young Norman Bates who is played by Henry Thomas. Yeah, the E.T. kid. Uh, that's how I first knew. I didn't know it was Henry Thomas. Um, uh, he. It's quite funny here because he's kind of in a sort of teenage years. And then it started making me think about actors that we've grown up with all their life. It's really weird that you see like a kid grow up and carry on acting and stuff and sort of you know their life as they grow up. It's very strange. But um, yeah, uh, he's still a sort of teenager in this. What, what is he, about 15, 16? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll get the exact number here but yeah somewhere in that neighborhood you would think and i hadn't seen him in anything like this apart from obviously et and then later on um he's done stuff a lot he's a working actor so he's done a lot of other stuff but i've seen him later on um yeah it's uh interesting to see him there he's 19 is his age in when okay. he uh when this I movie premiered but he obviously must be playing like fifteen, I guess. Yeah, and well, he looks young anyway. Like you see him on <laughs> Midnight Mass or Haunting of Hill House or in any of those Mike Flanagan uh, productions that he's in. He looks yeah, I, 
Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, he does. He has got a youthful face. Um, I very quickly, I really wish Norman, when he'd called in though to the radio show, had said "long time listener, first time caller." I really just wish he'd said that one sentence. <laughs> right, long time, first time. Yeah, yeah. I really wish he just done it, uh, but uh, you know, I guess it takes away the evilness of it. I suppose. Yeah, that would be terrific. <laughs> so, when when we first see him. Norman is getting uh, a little bit of action from yeah. a young woman who is desperate to fuck him. She wants dig. <laughs> yeah, it, it like he is very withdrawn and and introverted and very quiet. And he's like, "Yeah, you're a very pretty girl." And she's like, "Uh huh." How about we go up to your house? And he's like, yeah. "Uh, I guess." And she's like, "Okay, so we're going then." And just takes off for the house. Even though he's like, look, we can't really fool around because my mother is asleep. <laughs> Unbeknownst well, to her, mother well, is fucked. Yeah. Well, what's better for play than the fact he has to go and unclog a toilet? This is true. The, that was the moment where she slips away to the main <laughs> house because somebody just leans out of one of the rooms and is like, hey, shitter's full. <laughs> But what is annoying with this woman is that twice he says, stay here, she still goes fucking wandering. And uh, ultimately, that's to her demise later on. But yeah, she does. She just goes off, which is weird. She wants to have sex. He's like, stay here. We can have sex back here in the, behind the reception room. Uh, back there's a bed, etc. And she's horny, except that the horn is, goes from the interest of the uh, the house and she just goes wandering up there what does she plan on doing it's just what you're just going to go wandering up there like his mum's asleep up there that's just kind of weird but yeah, yeah I, she, I think because she is so lusty and in need of penis that the <laughs> idea is that she is just going to go up to the house he'll follow her and by the time yeah. you know he arrives after unclogging a toilet <laughs> yeah. As you as you said, the 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 sexiest of foreplay, yeah. Uh, that you know she's going to be good to go, and she'll already be in his house, and and that's what, exactly what happens. Though she goes into the house, he chases her up there, and no, she does. He does follow her, so her plan does work. Yeah, and the next thing you know, she is, you know, undressing in front of him in his bedroom, and he's like, "You gotta, we gotta be quiet because." We don't want to wake up mother because that's not going to be good for anybody. Trust me. And, yeah. and she's like, no, 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 let's, uh, we'll, we'll be quiet. So by the way, have you ever seen boobs before? Because here are some. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is something we talked about in really all of the movies, but that's the psychology of Norman Bates is that as soon as he has a sexual attraction to someone, that is when mother comes out. Well, yes, as this this movie was actually all right, um, I found the story quite interesting and captivating because we actually get it kind of like when you watch Bates Motel, you get this real uh, insight into Norma and all that stuff. And with this, with these flashbacks, you do get a massive insight into this and how she abused him and when she's she comes on to him and he gets a boner later on and she's like oh you dirty little boy you're staying in this cupboard etc um so it's good that we get to know this but yeah you're right so anytime i guess he gets a sexual urge he has this 
thing come back to the fact that he Giffy gets a boner basically he goes back to his mum saying that that's a dirty thing etc etc yeah and mm. and well and we'll get into the reasons for that weird sexual psychology but yeah that's yeah. as soon as he has this moment where he's about to have sex with her and then he has to kind of run off and be like oh let me go check on mother and uh and she's like all right well hurry back because i'm naked in your bed and ready to go and she doesn't stay she gets up and goes wandering again now she wanders into his bed his mum's bedroom and just starts creeping up onto essentially his mum who's in bed obviously a corpse but if it wasn't a corpse and it was actually her mum, his mum asleep, just a normal person asleep, it's a bit weird to go creeping up onto the mum's bed. Yes, yes. What's the, the, what's the plan? And what was her plan? I don't know. She's that horny. She's going for the mum. You I, know. <laughs> I was thinking of having sex with your son. What do you think of that? <laughs> it's really weird. She, or she, well, she thinks it's Norman. But why would Norman now be lying down asleep in a different bed? But, but you know. It's a catalyst to get her into the room to see a dead corpse and Norman in his classic attire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wig and and knife. And yeah, yeah, and pops up and the next thing you know, she's getting stabbed brutally. And we see that it's Norman here. That, you know, it's Henry Thomas in in drag uh, doing this. And but yeah, it's you know like it's mother saying I can't believe there's a whore in the house, yeah. uh, because and that's all which like it, the the notes that he's getting in Psycho Two supposedly written by mother are you know there's a slut in my house. It's always it's it, it is always there is a woman intruding on my territory. Yeah, it's very it, this movie is very insightful and interesting to uh, um, domestic abuse between like a, a parent and a child. And it's uh, quite sad watching this film because you really, like I say, you really get an insight into all of this. And this is the most interesting thing with Psycho, and like you've discussed on your, your other shows before, just the, just the fact that it's the psychology of Norman Bates and just how his head works and stuff. And it's, very interesting um on a side note you know as well as it's just being a standard horror film blah 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 it's very interesting to watch especially nowadays because we're so more awake with uh mental health issues and everybody's actually aware of such things um it's, yeah it's interesting to watch it and you know study it ourselves as an audience yeah and that's one thing that the series as a whole i think does a good job of it is sort of portraying his psychology as something that isn't just oh he's a crazy person Mm. there's always a reason you know even whether it's psycho 2 or psycho 3 or whatever even in psycho 3 you understand the underlying psychology of his persona and mother's persona kind of battling in that film and and i like the title suggests this is sort of a well how did this all happen and yeah Although after he kills the uh, horned up young lady, we kind of come back to the present day where uh, Norman gets all upset about recalling all of this and just hangs up on the radio show. Yeah. And this is where we get a little bit of an insight into his personal life as it stands right now, which is he is out of the institution 
Um, and the implication is that this is more of a direct sequel to the original Psycho than it is he he is out of the institution yet again after the events of Psycho 3 was okay. was Joseph Stefano's idea behind it. Although I think it works well enough, I guess. You could say that, oh, after he killed all those people in Psycho 3, that they yeah. gave him, you know, another, another chance. <laughs> well, stranger things have happened in this world, you know. For sure. And, you know, we talked about it in on the Psycho 3 show that when Norman Bates goes into prison or the, the mental institution... I bet he is a model inmate. Like he, oh, it, oh, god, yes, he's going to fold his bed clothes exactly every day. His bed will be pristine. It'll be tidy. The 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 cell will be, you know. Of course, he was. He'll be there for dinner. He'll do the exercise. He probably, yeah. He, I bet he's, I bet he's great. But no one probably wants to go near him because he's psycho. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the guy that killed his his mother and her lover. And also three women, and that was the first time. Yeah. And then he got out <laughs> and, yeah. and killed a whole bunch more people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he uh, so he's got uh, a a wife at this point who is working at the local hospital, and they have a quick conversation about it's it's almost his birthday. There's some business about like who's going to pick up the cake and whatnot, and Norman's like, "Look, I'm on a radio show talking about all my mer. I mean, isn't it bad luck to pick up a birthday cake?" And she's like, "All right." Uh, and she's like, I'll, "I'll I'll pick up the cake. I tell you what, I can leave it here because it'd be cold downstairs." Straight away, I'm like, "She's got dead bodies down there. So she, does she work in a hospital or a morgue or what is it?" That cake was a hundred percent in the morgue for a period of time. Yes, absolutely. And I love the fact that Norman's gone and got a wife who works with dead bodies. That's brilliant work, Norman. That's good work. At least they have something to talk about, you know? Absolutely, they both know right their way around a dead body. Yeah, so, yeah. So. Anyway, he finally hangs up with her, and then he's still uh, in the mood to to chit chat. So he calls CCH Pounder back and the the Fran show, and is like, "Oh yeah, uh, not only uh, did I kill my mother, but let me tell you about my father, who my biological father, who died when I was six of a bunch of bee stings, and yeah. then it was just me and my mother all by herself." Was it Nicolas Cage in the Wicker Man remake? Yeah, 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 yeah. The bees, oh the god, bees, the bees. The bees. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what happened. He went to Summer's Isle. Norman's father went to Summer's Isle and was stung <laughs> by a bunch of bees. Amazing. And uh, then it turns out that we're we're doing another flashback where we understand that Norman is now kind of at the age of 15 or so he's really running the motel. Yeah. His mum or mother, uh, really. Yeah. is letting him do the work and do getting him to do stuff. Basically essentially man around the house. And it's such a weird, it's very, it's not that weird. I was about to say it's a really, really weird relationship she has with me. It isn't. That sort of an abuser is going to go and give the, give loads of happiness and love and all of a sudden take it back and be really, really horrible and spiteful. That's actually fairly common, I suppose, really. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and this is where we see sort of the 
beginnings of this weird psychology that's the dynamic between Norman and his mother. Where, as you said, he's basically the man of the house. There's uh, a scene where they're out kind of having uh, a sort of a picnic. And it's there's a weird intimacy between them that is borderline romantic. Yeah, now this is, for Mick Garris, one thing that, uh, a genre he should work in is romantic drama because the sequences he shoots of those two, uh, like dancing with music and dancing in the rain and different stuff, is really good. Um, a lot better than that stabbing sequence of the, the horny teenager, which was very bland stabbing sequence, but this stuff's really good. But yeah, it really does put across very easily, visually and audibly from the music, a romance blossoming, almost a ancestral romance blossoming between his mother and him. But his mother flirts with him. She sort of pushes him to these bits. He, he If his mum was like, well, what are you doing? He wouldn't do that. She leads him and then she's like, you know, he gets a boner eventually. She's like, no, you're wrong. Uh, it's, it's really sad. Uh, the way she treats him, actually. Yeah, well, as you said, he'll, she flirts to the to him, uh, flirts with him to the point that he becomes aroused because he's a fifteen year old boy. You know, he's got a hard on all the time. That's what. Yeah. As, as soon as puberty hits, a, a yeah. man becomes a walking erection for about the next fifteen years. And she's pissed off that she finds his porn mags, and she's annoyed that he's wanking away. It's like, come on, it's a 15-year-old kid. It's not even porn. It's like lingerie catalogs, yeah. which, yeah. you know, let's yeah. face it, it's what you don't see, am I right? And, <laughs> yeah, it, and then this is where she forces him to put on women's clothing and puts uh, lipstick on him and so forth. And mm. it's like, you know, forget about that thing between your legs, you know. And and calls him Norma, call, calls him by her own name. Mm. And it's it locks him in a closet. So here is, again, when you're looking at the psychology of this character, this kid who was aroused by his mother, who's a, an attractive woman. It's, you know, played by Olivia Hussey from that Zeffirelli, Romeo and Juliet. Those are formative breasts for me. I realized this is the Black Christmas lady, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hello! Hello! <laughs> On the phone the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's, you know, this attractive woman. He is rolling around with her and in bed with her on occasion. And, yeah. you know, and, and at the moment where the relationship becomes something sexual for his mother... Even though she is luring him into that, as soon as it happens, it's a real honey trap where as soon as he exhibits any kind of arousal, then she humiliates him, she locks him away, she makes him wear women's clothing, basically anything she can do to humiliate and emasculate him. Mm. And so, again, if you're watching this movie and have seen the other Psycho films, you're like, oh, well, that sure adds up. <laughs> You know? I know you can look at Norman and go he's probably not really a bad person really because actually he probably fucking been a decent decent gentleman I'd have thought you know um, wouldn't be killing women possibly marrying women being like a fairly alright person yeah um, and she, the other form of abuse that she does to him though when he's at his dad's funeral with her she, she tickles him on purpose so he laughs and he's like 
six, five or six, maybe seven, and tickles him till he laughs. And when she he laughs, she slaps him and says, don't do that. And I thought, is this for a public appearance? And I was like, no, it's not. This is how she takes her pain out. She takes her pain out on him. And she does it later on saying, I shouldn't have given birth to you. You should have died. And it's horrible. It really is. Yeah, the, that exact line, because that's kind of where we are in the story anyway. There's a bit where... um. Fran and Dr. Richmond. Dr. Richmond kind of sniffs out because he used to be Norman's psychiatrist. And Richmond says, like, hey, I think this guy is Norman Bates on account of all the details I know about him. Yeah. And he says basically, like, hey, you need to kind of keep him on the line and keep him talking because he could be ramping up to kill someone again. Yeah. And, but that that's sort of going on in the background but then yeah as he's back on the line with her he he tells that story about how his mother is complaining to him about how they're building an interstate that is going to draw business away from the motel yeah and when he does not exhibit the proper amount of sympathy for that the exact line is i should have killed you in my womb you sure as hell try to kill me by getting out of it. I know that basically she's a cunt, you know, it's, it's horrifying. It's, she's a horrible, horrible, horrible person. Um, that she probably shouldn't have had a child to be quite frank. Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. And certainly not, you know, one might assume that her husband was sort of the, uh, the deluding effect that maybe he was a decent guy and yeah. and kept Norman from being, you know, completely dominated by his mother. But yeah, yeah after he's gone, Norma Bates is psychologically wounded herself, no doubt about that. Like she's she's got problems of her own. But yeah, like this is a real nature versus nurture argument and you know, it sure feels like nurture. Uh, in this case, although we'll get into that more in a little bit in this story, but yeah, yeah. she's a, she's a nightmare of a human being. She is a horrible person, and yeah, like you say, it, it makes you look back at the other movies. And go, yeah, totally understand why he does, and totally understand why he killed your mum as well. Oh, and it just gets worse, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like so. So we're doing a little more investigation, like Fran and her crack team in the booth are, are trying to look up where Norman Bates is, and it turns out that the Bates Motel has been closed down for several years, and uh, he no longer works there, and he met a nurse at the ward where he was being treated. Uh, ah, that's what it is. Okay. And... She helped him, you know, get better and so forth. And then once he was deemed sane, then he married her a couple of years after that. Pretty sure she's probably not allowed to marry the patients. Well, he was released at that point. I think it's sort of like if you're a, a professor, you can't date the students. But as soon as they graduate, it's open season. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. No, no, not at all. But yeah, you you are correct. It's just funny, you know. <laughs> and so, anyway, so Norman, after they do that detective work, Norman says, "Oh yeah, well, let me tell you about this other horrible thing that happened to me, where my mother started dating again." 
and dates yep. this guy named Chet. Chet. Which immediately you know he's going to be terrible. There, There has not been a good Chet in the history of mankind. I was thinking of weird science. Oh, absolutely. If yeah. the, the fact that he was like, well, how about a nice greasy fish sandwich served in a dirty <laughs> ashtray? He pukes, you die. Yeah, it is it is that Chet only grown up and just as much of an asshole, though. Yeah. And so he is a big tough guy, you know, very aggro male kind of guy, and gets Norman to do some boxing with him. Uh, it's but it's basically he's a very good match for her because he's now pushing Norman to uh, uh, inc- inciting him to punch him back by saying stuff to him, which will roll him up and get him like all rowdy. Um, so he can then basically punch Norman really hard, and it's exactly the same form as as his mum does, but it's physical abuse, and it's just like, oh my god, this kid, just leave him alone. It's just, uh, yeah, they they do fit each other, but then again, obviously, Norman's going to kill him as well, eventually. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're not far <laughs> off from that murder, but yeah, no. he ends up, uh, after Chet calls him a girl and, you know, all that, and Norman, you know, lashes out, he ends up getting hit, put on his ass. And then while yeah. they're on the, the phone, like, Norman gets so caught up in this memory that he reveals that his name is in fact Norman and they're like aha we got you Norman Bates uh which they kind of knew all along so it's not that big a surprise but, yeah uh, I'm surprised he didn't uh, uh lose his shit earlier when the psychiatrist uh, uh, put across the idea that his mum abused him and uh almost flirtatiously acted out with him i thought he's gonna lose his shit earlier to the shrink and stuff and then possibly come out and say oh and then they go oh you are norman bates but but that made me think though norman bates himself has he gone through in his mind thought about how his mother's actions were and what they were and he's dismissed them because he puts his mother on such a pedestal still um do you know what i mean yeah for sure but you know following that psychology like his father had died this is the only relative he has this is his mother and as awful and crazy as she is you know it kind of goes back to the the first film that scene in the parlor with uh marion crane when he's like you know she i i had to take care of her she's my mother you know yeah yeah and 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 so that's what i think is at work there but also he's pretty quick at this point to say this is also when I killed the next woman. Yeah. Which was an older woman named Gloria who yeah. is all horned up for Norman also because he's a young piece of supple flesh. Yeah, she she's a little bit older than him, isn't she? Yeah, I would say she's probably in her 30s. I'm gonna go mid mid. I'm gonna say 36. Uh, she's yeah. uh, she's displaying a sort of milfness about her, uh, and she's definitely liking a younger man. Right, she's what we call a cougar. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And yeah, she's like, oh, Norman, you are a sexy piece of yummy candy. And yeah. he's like, uh, wait right here. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Yeah. 
And then runs off, you know, gets all mothered up and comes back and kills her. Only this time, um, when he kills her, this is the first time we see him using the swamp as his dumping ground. Like in the original. Yeah. Which I kind of like. I, I like that we get the origin story of here is where uh, Norman Bates is going to put all the bodies. And and he used it up until Psycho 3. You know? Like, he's not... Another theme of uh, this series of shows is that Norman Bates, not a mastermind criminal. No. You know? And in fact, he is calling a radio show to tell <laughs> the world he is about to kill somebody again. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is where we get the reason for that after he you know tells the story of Gloria is that he is going to kill his wife because she dared to stop taking birth control and get pregnant. I know at this point the insurance company are really shitting themselves for the radio show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of phone calls going back and forth like what do you think do we pull the plug? Do we just cut him off right now and call the police, or what do we do? I don't know. The ratings are through the roof, Jim. We gotta. I know. Um, well, that's that's like John Landis. He's like, "Don't let this guy go. Don't let this guy go. We've got him." You know, when he keeps calling back. Yeah, and yeah, it's so it's a, a whole thing about like, hey, recent research suggests that mental illness is transmitted uh, through the genes. That you know, if I have a child, he's likely going to be a monster and so i'm going to kill my wife before she can have this devil spawn baby and yeah you know that is kind of the thrust of the movie although this is all happening at the very end really yeah we also had though a shot of norman uh stealing his mother's body and uh doing his taxidermy skills on her wow maybe the or in terms of just being a horror scene, probably the best horror scene of the film. Just the fact that this is this like fifteen year old kid or whatever is just totally calm, just sewn up his his dead mother. It's like, whoa, man, that is just messed up. Yeah, it it's really screwed up. Um, but yeah. yeah, and then we we get the the murder scene, which is, uh after chet and norma have engaged in a marathon fuck session they basically want this the 15 year old son to bring up pre pre-sex drinks like wow yeah <laughs> wow okay right yeah hey we need you to be our bartender for the uh olympic level of fucking that is about to happen here and it's you know it's like two o'clock in the afternoon as well and right norman's probably just hoovering the house oh for god's sake they want drinks again you know <laughs> so he puts a little strychnine in the iced tea like you do yeah and he delivers it onto chet and his mother who are also horned up and chet downs his pretty fast yeah and uh his mother on the other hand is rubbing the ice cold glass all over her forehead and chest and 
you you're know. just basically just pouring drink down the front. Like, is that's going to get sticky, or is he coming back to lick it off, or what are you doing? It's that hot, you don't care. You know, I wouldn't do that. I'd just be like, oh, that's going to be annoying, isn't it? Just yeah. pour, pour my drink down myself, yeah. <laughs> it, it's one of those things, if I saw my girlfriend doing it, I would be like, why are you making such a mess? Who's cleaning? <laughs> Am I going to have to clean doing? this up? <laughs> Uh, it's not sexy it's annoying stop it yeah yeah i mean all right in fairness it's a little sexy but (laughs) we've got to think ahead about 45 minutes when all when all of the sex is done and we're back to our senses again yeah and what's going on with the iced tea at that point (laughs) yeah we are going to be sticking the sheets are going to be like we're going to have not only do we need to change the the sheets because of all the you know semen and smegma and all that stuff (laughs) They're just going to be soaked with iced tea as well. Yeah. So we're not even going to be able to sleep on them. It's just a big mess. Yeah. You know, like you can sleep away from the wet spot on the bed for a night and then wash the sheets in the morning. That's just, you know, common sense. But anyway, I'm taking it down as it's a very hot day. And, and after her sex, she's even hotter. So she's having a little drink and just pouring a drink down herself. But Norman is obviously waiting eagerly with his little eyes, looking, going, go on, go on, is she going to do it? But before she can actually, well, she does have a bit of it, but before she can drink as much as Chet, Chet comes out the bathroom vomiting. Yeah. And it's sort of this slow-moving chase scene with poison people kind of chasing Norman down the stairs and into the cellar yeah and where ultimately uh chet puts up a little bit of a fight then he dies and then norman's mother dies and now you know the the circle is complete norman has killed uh norma and her lover chet and uh and like you said at this point they have the funeral and he puts a bunch of coffin of books in the coffin instead of a body and taxidermies her up and they're now we have honest to goodness mother yes we do and we all know mother yeah and so he calls Cotty his wife and nor in the present day and norman is like hey connie um i've got a great idea how about you meet me at my old house you know the one where i killed all those people yeah, the one that they took me back to after being in the psychiatric hospital. The yeah, one the, they keep taking me back to for some reason. The, the one Robert Loggia mildly protested my return to. I <laughs> uh, don't think it's gonna. Uh, go on then. It's my day off. Go on, you do it. Listen, Norman. I I wish we had more people to come check on you, but you know yeah. it's the Reagan years, so well, we're busy. And to be honest, we we expect that if we don't see you we will forget about you anyway so you'll be fine you know uh, uh, tell me this are you planning on killing anybody no <laughs> all right your words as good as gold to me it is incredible uh but yeah he says to his related to, to his wife uh meet me at my mum she's like what and he says you heard me and uh she's like oh, okay well all right so he just hangs up on this radio show and that's kind of the end of that story is he just shows over he says and, and hangs up as if yeah. to indicate hey i'm about to run off and kill my wife and uh and so he heads to the bates motel to do just that yeah and then connie shows up and he is all mothered out um 
or no, he never gets mothered out in in, in the present day. It's uh, he's just got a knife. It's it's a uh, it comes into a will he will he not, and it's a very good music score which really pushes that across. Will he do it? Will he not do it? And he in and, and we don't know. He doesn't know, and she doesn't know. So it's actually quite a good scene. I thought. Yeah, it it's it's really compelling because it's her saying. I, and the line that she has that I like a lot is when she says, look, I know I know you're afraid that your child is going to be a killer, but don't I count for anything? Doesn't my like genetic yeah. makeup and my kindness and the fact that I love you and you're going to love this child, too? And he's like, how do you know that? And she's like, because I know you're not you're not a killer anymore and you never really never were. It's just yeah. the psychology that. uh that fucked you up because of how terrible a human being Norma Bates was led you to that and drove you to that. But you as a person, Norman Bates are actually a very sweet, kind guy. And Mm. if you'll just let yourself be that, we're going to be fine. Mm. And, you know, I guess she knows how to handle him because she obviously works in a hospital with such patients and worked with him. Right. And she, I mean, to her credit, she essentially talks him down mm. and he's like, okay, I guess you're right. We'll have this baby and we'll see what but, happens. But how you couldn't do it though. She's still blind. Though. You can, okay, cool. Let's go to sleep now. Turn the lights off. No, no. Can you actually trust he's not going to stab you in the back? You know? That is the big question I have here is like, how often do you have to talk about the ledge? Is this just like a typical Thursday for them? I know. And or was anything is, does, does maybe garlic make him go lose it? Is there anything you can can you wean him off from losing it? Or like, how much effort does it take to like do this all the time? It's just going to be such hard work. It's yeah. And then it's going to be like, can you look after the kid and popping down the shops? What you want me to stay with the one-year-old baby? Yeah. Can you do it, Norman? Yeah. Come on, let's go have some fun. Let's go check out some new knives down at a knife shop or something. You know, like. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be hard work. Why? Why don't we go to a movie? Mother can watch our child. You know. <laughs> Where's the kid? She's with mother. Right. Oh, well, don't do that. You know. <laughs> yeah, but so symbolically, assuming that none of that happens, which I think is a big assumption. Yeah. Then symbolically, at this point, Norman goes through the house, throwing a conveniently placed can of gasoline around and sets fire to the the Bates home and yeah. you know it as it burns like he ends up having flashes of all the people he's killed and mother herself in the in the cellar on his way out but yeah i mean he's basically confronting his past through his journey uh in, through the the house yes and and obviously it's one of those things isn't it burn something down it kind of it gets rid of it i suppose so it, I, I understand that but yeah he's seen flashbacks of norma and norma's boyfriend husband or no boyfriend um as he's in the fireplace and his wife rescues him because he sort of does he pass out from the inhalation it, it's i think he's hurt his leg is the thing that he like oh, fell okay. down the stairs or whatever <clears throat> but yeah she ends up helping him out of the the cellar and drags him onto the lawn as the house burns behind him and he says i'm free connie i'm finally free yeah and you're like well i mean for now 
Yeah, well, we cut to the basement as a rocking chair moving. Ally, mother ghost, is moving it. Um, and then, then the film finishes and we have the sound of a baby crying. Now, is this obviously them going, right, if we make some money here, we can make a part five and have the child now be the psycho? Absolutely. Sure Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question in my mind that they were just hedging their bets on this one of like, we have a, a final moment where Norman yeah. Bates is free of, you know, his mother and and the psychology that has haunted him his entire life. He can go on and have this this life with his wife now and their child. Oh, but by the way, you know, what if it's, uh, you know, it's like when, uh, is it uh, uh, Aliens where you can hear the egg opening at the end? Oh, uh, really? the credits, okay. you know, that kind of thing <clears throat> where, yeah. uh, or maybe that's just apocryphal and that's just how I remember it. But, uh, regardless, yes, I think it is just, as you said, it's them setting up, you know, psycho five, the offspring. Yeah, it must be. It's, it's an easy thing to do. And of course it, it just, it's a nice little touch. Have a little thing like that at the end. It's, it's a bit obvious and a bit easy to do, but yeah, that's what they're alluding to. So fair play. Yep, and so that is the the ins and outs of of the story of of Psycho Four: The Beginning, um, and and you know after the story, I kind of like to highlight some of the performances, good and bad, from this one. And I don't know that there's really a bad performance in this movie. No, actually handled fairly well uh, by Mick Garris. The performances, a lot of the people of veteran actors, really, anyway. Like obviously, Henry Thomas knows what he's doing since he was a kid, CCH Pounder, Olivia Hussey, and then a lot of things. Um, and obviously, Anthony Perkins. But yeah, um, what are you thinking in performances? Yeah, I mean, Anthony Perkins is just, it's a role that he's born to play in a lot of ways, and he just knows that part inside and out, and he's fun to watch. Um, yeah. I like CCH Pounder, always have. I think she's totally fine as this radio host. She's solid. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, Olivia Hussey is very good. As, I agree. I mean, yeah. I think she's maybe my favorite thing about the the whole movie is how, like, Southern Gothic she is. Yeah. You know, she's almost a Tennessee Williams character or something. She's a very sexy lady as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and that I think is kind of key that she's this beautiful older woman as as this movie is filmed. I mean, she's probably in her forties at this point, but you know, um, yeah. and sh so she's gorgeous, but also pulls off crazy real well. Absolutely, when she actually sort of gets uh, angry, she, she yeah, she pulls off her. She's got very good range; she pulls it all off very easily. Um, I imagine with this really. Uh, Mick Garris probably didn't need to give a huge amount of direction. I imagine this lot knew what they were doing with the script and, and took that script and pulled it off the paper and, and brought it to themselves of their own performances. And I think it's probably fairly easy to shoot in that sense because um, they're, all, they're all pretty good, like you say. Yeah, and then uh, I think, you know, just a shout out to Henry Thomas for having the sheer gall to play Norman Bates in the same movie that Anthony Perkins does. And, like, I think he does fine. I, I don't... Mm. It's just in comparison to Anthony Perkins, who, again, just so inhabits that role. Like, he, he directed himself as Norman Bates. He has been Norman Bates off and on for, you know, 30-plus years at this point. Uh, how, did you, this is me. how did you like the, uh, the, the kid? I don't know his... 
He's a good doctor as well, isn't he? The one that did the Bates Motel um, uh, series. How did you like him as Norman? Oh, Freddie Highmore, I think is that kid's I, name. I, I'm not sure of his name. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. I, I haven't finished all of Bates Motel in, in, oh. in fairness. Um, I've watched some of it because especially Kate Pollock was one of the people that was like, you really need to watch this. And I really loved how trashy it was especially that okay. first season and i just had it one of those things i just haven't had time to finish it yet but i thought he was great as that sort of you know almost like this you know the the norman bates before he's gone full full on bananas i think is yeah. the medical term yeah absolutely you should finish that because it does actually tie up like i know they're gonna do with better call Saul, they could tie up to the beginning of breaking bad um uh Motes Motel does tie up to the beginning of Psycho, as far as I remember. I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, and that's what um, I heard is that it, it kind of escalates, and especially that last season is, is very mm. good. Um, yeah, it's enjoyable. I, it kind of reminded me of this, the town very Twin Peaksy. Anyway, we're getting a bit off topic here. Um, but yeah, I think all the performances in this movie are pretty solid. I think everyone's really good. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I agree. I think this is a, a well acted uh, film. Um, and now on to our discussion of the thematic elements of the film. Um, and there's, you know, the, I, the big one I think is this idea of nature versus nurture of, you know, uh, Norman Bates being pretty convinced that his child is going to be evil because he is evil and has passed his foul seed along. Yeah, it's fairly logical for him to apply this and and think this is going to happen. So, yeah, I'm with him on that in some sense where he's coming from, I understand, especially as his mind is a little bit... uh, He does look at things slightly differently than the average person, shall we say. Yeah, and there's also these elements of a little bit of redemption with his wife, but also this general idea as he's on the phone with, I keep wanting to call her Dr. Marsha Fieldstone because that is the name of the doctor from sleepless in Seattle. Okay. (laughs) Listen, Dr. Marsha Fieldstone. Um, (laughs) I think that through that conversation, you just get this idea of like, he is just constantly haunted by his past that even though he has built this new life for himself, yeah. He's, he hasn't escaped anything. He is still living... Like, his present is still a world in which he has killed all these people. And it's, you know, rightly or wrongly, it is haunting him and coloring everything that he does. He's never really going to escape it, though, is he? You know, he's gone too far. It's just... It's always going to be there. Well, yeah. I mean, you would think uh, mm. that that this is the the logical conclusion but we don't know again because we don't look past the events of this movie and go like we need that six months later epilogue yeah where he's like you know what it turns out i am totally fine and i don't hear mother's voice anymore and all that stuff and and that's kind of the weird thing about the end of this is when he's going to kill connie it's not mother killing her it's him yeah absolutely 
Uh, it'd be really interesting what you're saying then. If they, if it's not six months, maybe a year later, and he's sitting there holding the baby, and it, and a voice over him saying, oh, "I'm all right now. There's nothing wrong with me." Then looks up at the camera. Him holding the baby as well would be really quite scary. Ending of the film. Well, yeah, and he gives that look like he does at yeah. the end of every uh, other psycho, psycho movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know. But- uh, yeah. the, the Bernard Herman score kicks in and you know that yeah oh it's I'll tell you if you like that you should uh, watch Reanimator oh uh, I know yeah, that score Reanimator <laughs> is exactly the same as that yeah it's like hearing like <laughs> Vanilla Ice talk about how Ice Ice Baby is different from Under Pressure it's like no there's one note that's different yeah to, to be fair, if I was going to try and replicate the Psycho score, I would get it sounding as good as the Reanimator score. It's a very good score as well. A hundred percent, but it is just almost yeah. note for note. It, it, it is. It's, it's, so it's a little cheeky, but yeah. uh, fair play. Yeah. Oh, I I don't dislike it, and I'm not criticizing. No. Uh, you know, no. it, but it would be like if you did uh, a movie and you just ripped off the john williams jaws score because that's that's such a a unique score of those couple of notes uh yes yeah yeah it would be like wait is that oh you just ripped off jaws got it okay well well done obviously a lot lot of chords and notes in the uh, intricacy with the uh, uh score for psycho so i guess yeah let's turn these notes around and change the order (laughs) but yeah um all right well let's let's talk about our final thoughts about this movie i my take on it is i i feel like you can see that this is a made for television production it doesn't feel as as filmic as psycho 2 and psycho 3 and certainly not the original and and i'm one of those people that i'm like i don't necessarily need a prequel i don't need you to explain necessarily how the monster was made no, I found it interesting though. I did, you know, uh, same as I like watching Bates Motel. I f- it's nice to go back and see the roots of of his psyche and how that developed. And this movie does show a lot of that. So it was interesting. And I think as an avid horror fan and a fan of Psycho, I in some ways, even if you're not going to watch two and three, you should probably watch two. Um, uh, it's worth watching. I think. Yeah, I think. I don't think it would be if it weren't for Anthony Perkins and Olivia Hussey turning in really good performances. Yeah. And I, I think they kind of elevate a lot of that material. I, I think you and I are both in the camp that Mick Garris is maybe not the the best visual director out there. Well, he's a t- TV film director, really. Is that he makes a lot of TV films. I know that nowadays that doesn't mean anything, but back in the day, obviously, TV films is a certain thing. And he, he was assigned to do those certain, certain things. Um, he, I guess he... He, 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 they they give him the job and he, he delivers properly. He probably delivers under budget, you know. And he, he doesn't need to have the visual scope to put it up on a massive screen uh, for the theatre. I think he's probably the right person for this. And like you say, this movie, this comes across quite well with him not having to do that much because of like you say the script. They're pulling it off the, the script itself, and it works very well as a TV movie. It's going to be pretty solid, really yeah yeah but you know that's almost like damning with fame praise like as a tv movie <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty good that, yeah i don't mean that in a bad way i've got to say though with all the little 
flat not flashbacks really sort of going back to recaps or so of his youth all those little stories because there's so many of them at one point in the film i did go how long is this is it it feels like it's quite long because there's so many little segments yeah yeah um it's it's a downfall i think slightly i i would agree with that as well um all right, well, let's let's do some ratings here. The rating scale we use here on the Dark Parade, it's uh, one to five stars. Well, you can use uh, half stars. We don't do quarter stars because we're not monsters here. No. But, uh, yeah, so uh, on a scale of one to five, where do you think this uh, this Psycho 4 lands? See, I'm in a, in a, in a kerfuffle here. 2.5 to 3, I'm going. Okay, well... You got to pick help one. Just, oh, all right, all right. I'll give you mine. I'll tell you what. I'll, you. Gi- I'll give you mine. Um, mine is a two and a half. And okay, then I'll go two and a half as well. Then. I, and the reason I'm going two and a half is I think if you if you were a fan of Psycho and and Psycho Two, and you never saw this one, it wouldn't change anything fundamentally about your enjoyment of those. But there are interesting ideas and there are good performances in this but it is a tv production it is a little long in the tooth at times even though it's not that long but it feels no it feels kind of bloated at times and the direction is very flat uh especially like you said the stabbing scene at the beginning that should be the scene that really gets the motor going in this movie i I feel bad for the editor because the editor's trying to do their best but it's literally like there's a shot of the knife coming down there's a shot of it going in there's a shot of a knife coming down there's a shot of it going in so come on guys do something more you know (laughs) right yeah show me a shower curtain or just 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 pull the camera back a bit or or do something else or get another angle or something but then again you know to be fair it might it was quite a short shoot i think like 25 days or something so to be fair okay you know uh yeah but you could also do like you could call back to the original movie and have some of the stuffed birds on the wall like watching yeah. the murder or absolutely a cutaway to that have been lovely yeah. yeah or even mother you know mother in the bed so that you you felt her presence in the, in the scene or anyway a lot what of about, things you could have done what about a close-up to the bird's eyes so you see a reflection in the eye of just him leaning over the body stabbing away that would have been brilliant with some really good stabbing sound effects that would have worked perfect yeah and that's downright Hitchcockian seeing the reflection of action in an eye yeah that's a real Hitchcock move mm, I should have done it yeah <laughs> <laughs> the Psycho 4 remake <laughs> um, alright well now not we- as sexy not as sexy oh well you know let's see how it goes or more sexy yeah let's turn the sexiness up in this one Um, it's 11 yeah bring olivia hussy back yeah um okay so here's three little facts that you may or may not know about psycho 4 hopefully you don't we like everyone to walk away from these episodes hopefully having learned something about the movies and uh this was the first feature film to be shot entirely, not entirely, but to be shot on the Universal Studios Florida uh, set in Orlando. Oh, I didn't even, uh, oh, of course. I was about to say, I didn't even know it was Universal Studios Florida. Of course there is. Um, uh, wow. Okay. And here's a, a, an additional fun fact about that. The house and the motel were so close to the Hard Rock Cafe there that yeah. the the filmmakers had to ask the manager of the hard rock to turn the lights and music off while they were shooting 
Sure, surely the Universal would have seen this and figured this out before they started shooting, but obviously not. Right. Uh, again, it, it's it, you know there's a great <laughs> a great story about uh, Psycho where um, when they were shooting the scene where the Marion Crane pulls up to the motel and it's you know pouring down rain and everything. Yeah. And the assistant director was talking about how this was the first time he'd worked with Alfred Hitchcock, and he said, I didn't want it to be the last, so I was on every detail. I was making sure that we had tested the rain machines, all that stuff was working, we had run through the shot, everything had been, you know, nailed down to a T. And then Alfred Hitchcock walks into the set and says, huh, you didn't prepare much, did you? And... He's like, what do you mean? We All this is working. He's like, there's a full moon tonight, and so it can't be raining. And so... He, wow. Right. And so they had to it, get, is, is that a thing, then? <laughs> yeah. And so they had to get grips to basically hold these kind of blackout panels in front Over of the, the moon. moon. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah, okay. I suppose if they're filming filming a car coming up and you got a shot of the house and the moon's out, but that's a that's gonna be a fucker. And it's not saying like you can just fix it in post back in those days. So yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um all right, so uh fun fact number two, uh thing you may not know about this movie. Steven Spielberg saw this movie and was so impressed he wrote a letter to Mick Garris saying how how close to uh psycho this was and how terrific a movie it was and uh according to the rumor mick garris has a framed copy of that letter on his office to this day i'm sure he would i would also have one i'm sure you would have one as well bo but uh i i'm a little bit mouth open here i I don't know what to say, really. It was Spielberg on his happy pills that day. I, <laughs> I, he, had, he had just looked at a rough cut of 1941 <laughs> and said, oh, my God, what have I done? Um, yeah, yeah I, I thought that was crazy. Um, also, during that first stabbing scene that we've referenced a couple of times and unsurprisingly have made better with our yeah. fan fiction. Yeah. Uh during that scene, Henry Thomas was so into the, the stabbing of that that while he was uh, shooting that scene, part of the knife went into his hand. Oh, and really? yes, and caused nerve damage. And he still has a scar from that scene to this very day. That's good to have a little scar some work, though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I like that because, yeah, that like every time he looks at his hand, he can be like, yeah, yeah, that's when I was uh, Norman Bates. Yeah, so yeah I, which, is, which is quite cool, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, fine, yeah. It's a shame we didn't get to see that really in the camera, in uh, in what was shot, though, of him really getting into that and then stabbing himself because like, hopefully he carried on acting and just took that in his stride, you know, as, as slightly method, you know. Yeah, and I think Henry Thomas, uh, again, you know, I think it's tough to step into the shoes of Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, but I, yeah. I think he does a, a pretty admirable job of trying to be, you know, that sort of wounded and also potentially sinister and violent character. So, uh, you know, good on 
Good on Henry Thomas, I guess. Does, does he sit there with his wife go, oh, uh, yeah, Psycho Falls on, check it out. She, she, I was well into that sequence when we were shooting that. But you ready? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I cut my hand, stabbing it, and she's just look, watched the sequence going, but it doesn't look like you're into it. It's just so blandly put together, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. She's like, hey, what if they did a reflection in the eye of a bird? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been better? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Gav said. Um, uh, look, that is Psycho Fort. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on this. This has been a tremendous amount of fun. Yes, it was. Thank you very much. And uh, before we go, please uh, pedal your wares one last time. Yeah, uh, I do write a bit of horror-related type of music as Chucky Still on on Spotify. Also, I do another podcast, which is a true crime podcast with my lovely girlfriend, uh, uh, the High Strangeness podcast. So go check that out. And obviously, I am with Mr. Dan Bone on the podcast on Haunted Hill, uh, which we will be getting back to soon. Slight hiatus, but we are coming back, guys. We have not forgotten you all excellent man all right well i'll be back in a second to close out the show uh thanks again to gavin uh be right back and there you have it that is the conclusion of our series on the psycho films the first series here on the dark parade and i want to thank again gav chucky Steele, who really gave us a, a, a great conversation and a great sense uh, you know being a filmmaker he just brings a, a great perspective uh, to the proceedings, and I appreciate it so, so much. Uh, he's just a terrific guy, and I hope we uh, we end up doing a little more with him soon. But uh, for our next series, folks, we are getting into one that is sort of a personal favorite of mine, even though I haven't talked a bunch about it, which is one of the great things about doing The Dark Parade, is I get to talk about movies that I haven't really talked about before in any kind of public space, and this is all mine. I get to do it the way I want. So... Coming up next, we are going to do three, count them, three Night of the Demons movies. And for a special bonus, a fourth episode featuring the Night of the Demons remake. So another four episode series coming at you with a new slate of guests. Uh, we've got a couple of returns, but uh, some new guests mixed in as well. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'm really looking forward to discussing those movies in a way that I never have before. Thank you again for listening to The Dark Parade. Please, if you would, uh, share it around. Like I said, we're still a new show, so if you can, share it with, with other people that you know that enjoy horror podcasts if you're enjoying your time with us. Uh, be sure you're leaving ratings and reviews where you can, especially if you're uh, a, a subscriber to iTunes or you have an iTunes account. Even if you don't normally listen to your podcast on iTunes, if you can jump over there and leave us a review uh, on iTunes, that helps a ton. That that really does help the profile of the show uh, a tremendous amount. If you want to recommend some movies, I think I've got everything planned through about the end of the year, but if there are some shows that you would like to hear uh, or series that you would like us to do or movies that you want me to cover, any of that stuff, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Dark Parade Pod. Uh, same is true of Instagram, although I tend to not be as active there. Uh, just because time is limited and you can only do so much social media stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, also on Facebook, we have a Facebook group. Uh, just search for The Dark Parade. I think you can also find it at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash dark parade. And uh, I'm there a fair amount. Like we, we have a lot of discussions and I've been sharing Halloween decorations and all that kind of fun stuff. So you can absolutely uh, find me there as well. 
And uh, that's it for now. Thanks again for joining us for this entire series. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you did. Let me know if you didn't. Let me know what you want to hear. And until next time, uh, in one week, uh, that is it for The Dark Parade. <laughs>